Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. So a couple weeks ago, I had the, uh, the privilege of speaking to the, the Atlanta Falcons Chapel. And uh, I walked in the room, and Rusty went down there with me. And um, we walk in the room, and there's, I don't know, 30 or 40 ball players in the room. And uh, on, on my left is Stephen Jackson and Roddy White. And, and the guy who's supposed to introduce me is a member of our church. He's a quarterback coach, and Coach Glenn was busy with something else. He didn't make it there in time for the intro. So Roddy White stands up and says, well, I'll just introduce you. So he's given me this extraordinary introduction. I mean, you'd have thought like, Billy Graham was there to do the, the chapel. And then, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty puffed up. My head is, you know, bite like this. And then he, in the middle of his introduction, looks down at me and says, and what's your name again? <laughs> That'll sort it out in a hurry right there, I'm telling you. But it's interesting. I heard Oprah Winfrey say that everybody she interviewed, whether it was a mass murderer from prison or the President of the United States, or Beyonce. After she interviewed them, they all had the same question. How did I do? Because we all need validation, don't we? I mean, in some shape, form, or fashion, we all want somebody to say, that's good, you did good. You know, I mean, don't you? I mean, I don't know anybody that got up this morning and said, I cannot wait for somebody to tell me I'm stupid. <laughs> I can't remember which service it was. Somebody told me before the service, they were looking and said, oh, you're wearing your jersey. I mean, you fill that thing out well, don't you? <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But, you know, I mean, I, I, everybody I know is looking for valor for somebody that'll say, man, that was good. I mean, think about it. Oprah Winfrey, in, she interviews President George W. Bush, and at the end, she said he walked backstage and looked at Oprah and said, how'd I do? And she interviewed, she interviewed Beyonce. And at the end, when the mics turned off, what does Beyonce say? How did I do? I think sometimes we wake up in the morning and we want to know, at the end of the day, how did I do? How did I do? I want to give you this thought real quick, and then we'll, we'll probably get to preaching eventually. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Sometimes I think we forget that Jesus himself lavishes his life on us that we might have an ever-present validation of who we are in him. But we just have this way of forgetting it. Hence, this series, Closer. So if you look at the circles on the screen where you see how far we've come, we can see that many of us are at two extremes. We're with the crowds where out there at the end of the crowd, we, we kind of see the watching and the listening. We can, we can see what Jesus is doing. We can hear what he says. It's appealing to us. I mean, it, it sounds good. Like Jesus says things like, my yoke is light. Take, take this on. Man, it, this is easier than all those rules. Just have a relationship with me. 
I mean, so that's appealing. You see Jesus healing people and caring for people and spreading this gospel of love. He said, that's appealing to me, the watching and the listening, because it costs us nothing there. But now the, the assumption is that some of us want to move closer. Just leave that screen up there for a minute, guys. We, the assumption is we want to move closer toward the presence of Jesus. But now I, I think that's a big assumption that we make. I think there's a big assumption that in this room that everybody wants to be closer in their relationship with Christ. I, because I think some of, us were, some of us are here today because, well, you know, my, my wife, just, she said I could watch ball games the rest of the day if I come to church this morning. Check. Right? Like if, if I got to have all of Saturday for college football, I could you'd go to church. Check. Right? I get that. And so some of us are in that position of, well, man, I don't, I don't know whether I want to move there or not. But I do know this. I don't know of anybody here that doesn't want to be better tomorrow than they are today. I don't think anybody woke up this morning and said, you know, I, can't, I cannot wait to count for nothing. I don't think anybody wants to go through life and say, you know what I want to do? I want to finish my life, and on my tombstone, I want it to be able to say, they counted for Jack. I don't know that anybody wants that. Everybody I know wants to count for something and make a difference. And so Jesus has this way. He comes along and says, listen, if you want to be great, you must become my servant. Now, remember, he was saying that to people who had servants and were servants. So they got it. I mean, he was talking to people who got that concept. I mean, we really don't get that, that feeling. He said, but if you move closer and closer to me, then what will happen is every day you take this step, and every day you grow and you become better in leaving this indelible contribution to the universe because you have walked closer with Jesus. And I think we would all agree whether you're here because you are already a follower of Jesus or you're here because you're just hanging out at church, I think we'd all agree if the world acted more, talked more, and reacted more like Jesus, it'd be a better place. I think we'd all agree with that. And so even on that basis alone, I'd say, man, we, we want to move closer, right? And so if you look at that, you'd say, well, at the 5,000, I, I watch and I listen, I get it. When I, when I move to the 5,000, what does that look like? That's where I start to receive this gift from Jesus. I said, listen, you, this is good. Like, remember the story of the 5,000? They were there, they didn't have anything. And he took a couple of fish and some biscuits and fed 5,000 men, a few thousand men, women and children. And then they had a bunch of food left over. He gives, he's good. He's always good. He always loves us. We, we watch, we listen at the crowd, and at the 5,000, we start to receive, and, and he gives us these good things. Then we move to the 70. The 70 is when we start working and serving. I, wait a minute. I want to I make a difference. I want to contribute to the universe. I want to contribute to God's work, and I'm moving closer and closer. And every time we move into a different circle and move a little closer to the presence of Jesus, there is a price that we pay to move forward. And some of us stop there and say, the price is too great. Now, now, it's interesting, uh, Mark, who who's, plays our keyboard, he's a, he's a very successful financial planner. And I've heard, I've heard Mark give this wisdom over the radio and on television that he does with Fox 5 and, and WGST. And, and he says all the time, he says, you know, when you're, when you're investing, make sure you invest for the long haul. Don't look at everything through one week or one day. See it through the big picture. And, and, I, and I think as we move closer toward Christ in our relationship and our walk with God, what happens is it costs us a little more, but the return on that investment is overwhelmingly greater. And so our contribution to this universe, hence, is greater. 
So we get to the 70, we're now, we're participating in that effort. But then we move to the point of the 12, and we get to that point of we're, we're kind of leaving everything behind, what the world offers, and we're going to follow Jesus. It's at that point where we kind of say, wait a minute, I'm not just a fan, I'm a follower. Like, I'm wearing a Falcons jersey today. I'm a, I'm a Falcons fan. Now, now odds are pretty good we're going to lose this ball game today, but, you know, tomorrow morning, should we lose or should we win, the fact is I'm not going to wake up and the end of the world will come because I'm a fan. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be sad. And, and I, do you know we have a lady in a church that actually bet the pastor on this ball game? I... Calliope Sweets up, up in Flowery Branch, Patty called me, and she said, I will bet you a month's worth of cupcakes if the Falcons win, you get a month's worth of cupcakes. And Patty, do you know how many cupcakes that could be? She said, but now if, if, if the Falcons win, you owe me a shrimp po' boy. You know what I thought? I win. That had nothing to do with the lesson. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> there's a point in which you leave and you follow. You forsake the world, and, and you say, wait a minute, I'm moving on to something greater. You're not a fan. You're now a follower. And then you get to the point of the three where it's suffering, but it's also glory. I kind of pay the price to follow Jesus, but while I'm paying the price, I'm also I'm, I'm getting the reward. It, it's kind of like watching Miss Mary Lou get baptized. It's this identification of Jesus he died for me, was buried for me, rose for me. And you know, someday when I die, because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, someday when I die, they're going to bury me. And when they do, you know, they're not going to take a handful of dirt and sprinkle it on my head. They're going to bury me. But according to Scripture, because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm going to be absent from that body, and I'll be present with the Lord. So I will have identified with Christ in death and burial and resurrection. All right, if you're with me, nod your head. You with me? All right, so you see that, and then we get to the place of the one today. And at the place of the one, we get to that point of dying and identifying. And where do we find the one who was closest to Jesus? And we find it in John, who is called John the Beloved. What we find is John was the guy who literally was resting back to back with Jesus at the Lord's Supper. At the Last Supper, he was, he was literally resting back to back. They had each other's back, literally. You know, John also was, was, was the one where Peter, when, when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me, who did Peter look to to say, hey, who's going to do it? He looked to John. He said, dude, who's, who's about to do this? This isn't good. By the way, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and his mom, Mary, was there, he looked at John and said, John, now that's your mom. You take care of my mom to entrust his mom to him. John remembered and he recorded so many of Jesus' words that the other gospel writers didn't record, and he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. But not only did the closest one follow Jesus all the way to the cross, he also found his identity in Jesus. I mean, as a matter of fact, friendship with Jesus caused him to not only come to know Jesus better, but to know himself better. So I guess the lesson that we might could take away from this is this essence that many of us are still trying to figure out what we're going to be when we grow up. Some of us are in that point of life say, you know, I just can't imagine I'm, I would be here now. I never saw me being at this stage in my life. I, what do I do from here? What, what is it in my life that is motivating and moving me forward? And, and Jesus says, looking at John, listen, if you want to know yourself, you've got to first identify yourself with him. So watch this. 
if you want to know your plan, then you've got to surrender your life to his will. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Because, you see, most of us hear the word surrender, and we picture being cowered in a fetal position, waving a white flag, giving up. And we picture surrender as, I quit. But the picture that Jesus paints through John, that surrender looks like this. Lord, it's all you. It's not me, it's you. I'm counting on you. He found himself in Jesus. He found his presence and he found his purpose and he found his passion in Christ. See, he, he, he wasn't lost in himself. He was lost in Jesus. And Jesus said, you, you, you want to be first? You've got to be last. You want to be great? You must become a servant. You want to find yourself? You've got to lose yourself. And Jesus had this unique way of being counterintuitive to everything the world offered. He turned it right side up. And in John, he was able to see that John embraced this identity unlike anybody else in Scripture. Clearly, he knew Jesus deeply and intimately. And as a result, he knew himself. In a real sense, John caught what everybody else missed. Now, what was it about John that lifted him to such this wonderful place of wisdom and love? And what can we learn for it? For, for one thing, it was his gift, don't miss this, his gift and his grace of meditation. Now, I, listen, I get it. You mention the word meditation in church, and immediately y'all have gone to incense burning and Deepak Chopra. All right? I get it. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about levitation here. Right? What I'm saying is he had the ability to soak up every word Jesus had to say and ponder on it, to pray about it, to let it saturate deep in his soul and deep in his bones so that he could know the presence and the power of the great I am. He had this gift of being able to meditate on those things. He was blessed and so favored of God. I mean, every conversation, every debate, every discourse, he continually saw and heard and meditated on those things. And you say, well, Chuck, that's great. He had time. No, he made time. He chose that. He chose, he chose to do that. So, so for John, he had a faith that was sticky. He had a faith that stays. And you look at that and you say, well, what does it mean? I mean, how did he finish the drill? How did he stay at it with Jesus as his highest priority? I mean, this is a characteristic of someone who dares to walk in the circle of the one with Jesus. It's a picture of not only faith, but of a faith that stays. I want you to consider this. Real faith stays no matter what. Real faith, it stays no matter what. I believe he was the closest disciple to Jesus. And these words come not only from one of Christ's disciples, but from the one who followed Jesus the closest. He even defined himself as John the Beloved. But now, throughout John's writings, we find this one overwhelming perspective. John the Beloved not only loved Jesus, he followed him in his footsteps, in every direction, he left all for Jesus, believed Jesus, leaned his back against Jesus, stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He remained, he stayed, he held tight, he surrendered. He depended on, and yes, he continued to abide in Jesus all the way to the cross and beyond. Overwhelmingly, what he said was this, stay, abide, hold on, don't leave this path. 
I mean, I, I think in my life, what I struggle with at times is ADOP when it comes to my relationship with God. It's like I'm doing great, and then all of a sudden, oh, pretty, and I'm gone. And I'm off of this path. And, what, and what, what Jesus is saying through John the writer is this. If you really want to stay in this close and intimate personal walk with God where you have his blessing and his goodness and his favor and you want to be able to say, I'm a friend of God, I'm walking with God, then he comes together and he says, but if you're going to do that, I want you to know there is a price that you pay and part of that price is surrender. And you've got to stay the course. You've got to stay the course. You've got to finish the drill. If you have your Bibles, look over into the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and find the 15th chapter. And in the 15th chapter uh, of the Gospel of John, we're going to start and just read a couple of quick verses and take a look at what this looks like when real faith stays, not just no matter what, but when real faith stays with Jesus. It looks like this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now you say, well, Chuck, I'm not sure I understand that. Okay, watch this. Let me read it to you from the message. Eugene Peterson, in the message, he took it and paraphrased that verse this way. I've loved you the way my Father has loved you. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy, joy might be wholly, fully mature. Real faith stays no matter what. Real faith stays with Jesus. Real faith stays in Jesus' love. Over in 1 John 4, 16, it says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. A question was asked of a fellow this week that said, How would you describe God? How would you describe God? Now, if you think about it, that is a pretty difficult question, isn't it? How would you describe God? I mean, that, that is at the heart of this validation issue. How would you describe God? I heard his answer, and I thought, now that was good. He said, you know, God is like walking into a house, and you, and you hear this song playing in, in a room of the house, and the song is good. And the song kind of moves you in your soul, and it vibrates deep into the bones and the crevices of your soul to the point that it draws you to that room. And as you draw closer and closer to the room, the, the music gets clearer and clearer and louder and louder. And when you get in the room, you realize, this is good. So good that I need to crank it up so the rest of the house can hear the song. And when the rest of the house has heard the song, everyone in the house says, oh, that's good. Let's take it outside and turn it up so the neighborhood can hear the song. And people in the neighborhood show up in the driveway and in the street, and they start singing the song. And before long, the news choppers show up, and the TVs are on it, and everybody's going, listen to that song. That's good. And he said, no, that's God. And I thought to myself, God 
is love. You looking for validation? God is love. And what did he say? I loved you first. Come on, that's good. Regardless of what you brought in this room, God said, I love you first. Real faith stays no matter what. It stays with Jesus. It stays in Jesus' love. And real faith stays at Jesus' commandments. John 13, 24 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Real faith stays. Let me ask you a question. If the world knows us by how we love one another, how does the world know us? Sugar Hill Church. How would the world know us? John was this guy that he, he went to the cross with Jesus. He had his back. I mean, he outran Peter to the empty tomb. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there when Jesus validated Peter and put him back in ministry. And John was overwhelmed with the awareness of the love of God for him. I look at that and I think to myself, and the crowds were drawn to Jesus' teaching. I mean, and the 5,000 were drawn to his gifts, and the 70 were drawn to his mission, and the 12 were drawn to his journey, and the three were drawn to his passion. But at the point of the one, we're drawn to Jesus himself. Just him. In the book of Psalms, in 63, verse 8, in the book of Psalms, it says, My whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you. Remember that word? Surrender. I wonder what we're clinging to that keeps the difference between here in our head and here in our heart from being in sync with God. And I wonder today if it's simply because we see surrender as cowardly and cowering and quitting. I quit, I quit, I quit. I can't do it anymore. I quit. When the Bible says, don't surrender that way. Surrender this way. Surrender this way. You say, well, Chuck, how, how do I do that? Well, I want to tell you, I, I don't know exactly how you do it in your journey, but I know this. I know that you got to start a journey somewhere. And starting that journey sounds a little something like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you to fix me and clean me up and make me new. And I'm, I want to live for you. And I'm, I'm willing to let you take over. I know you died for me. And I know you rose from the dead for me. But to take over, be, be the boss of my life. And that's the dire, desire of your heart. Just tell him that. You don't need a, you don't need a quick fix. You don't need a, a magnificent prayer. You just, you just need to tell him that. And for some of you, you need to draw a line in the sand. You say, you know, I did that years ago, but I, I haven't lived like it. I, I, need, I need to get my act together and draw a line in the sand and say, from here, from henceforth, man, I'm, I want to walk with him. I want to move closer with him. Then go ahead, get, get in a group. Get, get connected with people that will help you walk in your faith journey. For some of you, it's doing what Mary Lou did, just coming and saying, I want to get baptized. For some of you, it's just it's getting in a group and growing up in Christ. For some of you, it's starting the journey. For some of you, it's just taking it seriously. But I can tell you this. What John says is what this church is all about. Jesus crucified, risen, coming again, and 
He is enough. Christ alone, cornerstone. He is enough. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you alone are enough. And I pray we would meet you and know you this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray.